so how do I introduce myself? With your name, I think. Oh, hi, I'm Ben. And I'm Truman. This is the unnamed He-Man podcast, although maybe this time we'll have something to do about that. Yeah, I got some ideas. So I was going with an Eternia theme. I'm thinking like the view from Eternia or like Tales from Eternia, but I didn't really like that. But then there's the one I really liked was the Eternia Review. That's a good one. So it sounds like a newspaper that would be on Eternia. And also it's what we're doing. So it's pretty good. Nice double meaning. Yeah, it's got layers. All right. Welcome to the Eternia Review. I also think that it sounds vaguer or grander than just He-Man, you know, so it has room to grow. Be the strongest podcast in the universe. Yeah, that's the tagline, obviously. God, uh, I think we could do better than that. Little steps. We've got a name now. So I think last time, one of the things we decided was maybe we start with an uh, overview of the episode. Yeah. All right. I think we do like general impressions and then work our way through the recap and take whatever paths we take and then other thoughts and then the message of the day. What are your opening impressions? That was actually a pretty solid episode. We got a lot of backstory that I'm sure we'll hear about again. It did start to answer the question of who is Tila? I had a friend ask me, will I uh, get anything out of this podcast if I don't know anything about He-Man? And I had to say, I don't know if you would get anything out of this podcast if you do know everything about He-Man. Regardless, you're welcome to listen. Yeah, that's fair. But maybe it's a little helpful if we talk about some of the characters of He-Man. That's probably a good idea. Give like a rundown of the who's who. My first impression, pretty goofy. I don't really get some of the decisions that they made. We'll get into the story, I suppose. In my notes, I wrote external monologuing, but that doesn't make sense because monologues are external, but I meant like externalizing your inner monologue. Everybody does that in this episode, which I think brings us right to the opening scene where mysterious a spaceship pilot is talking to themselves as they are navigating a cosmic storm or an asteroid shower, I think they call it later. I had to rewind it twice to catch that who it was, Marlena from Earth. And I was like, what? Yeah, Earth exists in this universe. I know it's probably an expression, but Marlena opens by saying, I'm a million miles away from Earth caught in a cosmic storm. Out of curiosity, I looked it up. Pluto is 3 billion miles away. So she's like at Jupiter or something. It's got to be like in the asteroid belt somewhere, right? Oh, and it opens in the cosmic storm of the asteroid field. Whoa. Oh, man. We just cracked the bottle. Eternia is in the asteroid belt somewhere. All right. Wait, like, is that true? What's a million miles from Earth? Wait, how do we, how do we look that up? How far away is the asteroid belt from Earth? That's what I would ask first. The asteroid belt lies between 2.2 and 3.2 astronomical units from our sun. One astronomical unit is the distance between the Earth and the sun, which is roughly 92 million miles. Many millions of miles. So really taken at its face, Marlena is not very far away from Earth at all. A million miles does not go very far in space. I'm pretty excited to find the true location of Eternia. This is like finding Atlantis, Truman. The asteroid belt, I think, is a strong contender if it's a million miles away. Kind of an expression. Anyways, so she's Marlena crashing and it cuts to Prince Adam and the Queen. And it's like, oh, so that's how you came to Eternia. Yeah, watching home movies on the memory viewer. Some gizmo man-at-arms made. So they have a moment 
And then Tila walks in to confront Adam about skipping combat maneuver practice. And the queen wisely ducks out of that situation. Do you think Prince Adam has a lot of military training or did he skip out on a lot of military training? Kind of seems like he avoids it. Is that because he doesn't need it as he can just turn into He-Man whenever he wants? Or is he lazy? Probably because he can just turn into He-Man whenever he wants. It's probably his military tactical thinking is lax because of that. So that's the charitable view of Prince Adam. I'm wondering, again, how much does the He-Man persona influence Prince Adam's day-to-day personality? And is this laziness one of his personality flaws? To counterpoint Prince Adam is Tila's super hardworking, which they go about showing in later in this episode. She's a student of military training. Yeah, shooting bows and uh, bowing. She was also trained in the ways of the court. Before we get to those flashbacks, we cut over to Orko, jamming to Orko's theme. Which is beautiful. And he's assembling a music box. I didn't realize it was in Man at Arms workshop at first. I don't know if he said anything about it. Man at Arms does when he barges in. I thought I heard someone bumbling around in my workshop. And it turns out that Orko's making a music box out of a bomb. Yeah, from a parts box that when they cut to it is clearly Looney Tunes red rockets just kind of stacked in there. Yeah, music box is a bunch of gears and it's like ticking down and not made out of cartoon rockets. Do you think this is a common occurrence? A man at arms says, if I told you one time, I've told you a thousand times, don't mess around in my shop. The one thing that he says is that the last invention that Orko tried to make almost burned down the castle, which is a feat if the castle is made of stone. I don't know what building materials are like in Eternia. It looks like it's made of stone, some granite. Maybe we'll get into this a little later after we do the recap, but what are people's jobs here? It's a good question. Anyway, Tila wanders in and uses this opportunity to wax a little bit about her own relationship with her parents, which we find out Man-at-Arms, as you mentioned, raised her. Apparently, her father sacrificed himself for peace, vaguely, and her mother is mysterious. It's a secret I've promised not to tell there's something for reasons. For no reason that will become apparent. Ever. Not, not even in the slightest. And this whole time, Tila is doing this external, internal monologue as it cuts to her as a young child shooting the bow at the target learning the courtly ways. And I just have to imagine that man-at-arms is just standing there staring at her. What are you, are you talking out loud? Are you talking to me? Like, I I was there for this. I remember you just telling me about your childhood. Was it so bad? So Tila gets the idea to set off for the Oracle of the Crystal Sea. It's very ominous sounding. It is pretty ominous sounding. Do you think they meant the joke, the Crystal Sea, like S-E-E? instead of like an ocean, because it's an oracle. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt on this one. I'm, I'm sure they intended it. The benefit of the doubt to me would be that they did not intend that because it's a terrible joke. Well, and you just hate awesome jokes is your problem, not a fault of the writers. It's a fair, fair point. So Orko tries to dissuade Tila from going off because of the shadow beasts. It's the ominous shadow beast but accidentally lets this slip to prince yeah like he i promised not to tell i told her when she like said she was gonna go off to the crystal sea like that that, oh no i told out the secret you think he did that intentionally 
Do you think Orko is surreptitious enough to act and let this stuff out on accident? I think he's actually a court spy. I would not ever suspect him. That's the whole point. Orko is, for the uninformed listener, a floating magician ghost with blue ears and a sweet background music who floats around the castle. Imagine the Black Mage from Final Fantasy and is also a Looney Tune. That's perfect. Yeah. That's essentially Orko. Also disco. Is that disco? I say that out loud. I don't know if actually that's that's like a disco theme. The ultimate test is can you do that Saturday Night Fever disco move to it? These are the big questions. So they make it clear that they trust Tila's capability. It was kind of like a big point. He-Man's like, all right, I know she can handle it, but I'll just go to make sure that she didn't need him to go save her until she needed him. But he's He-Man, so obviously he's going to go anyways. We cut to Snake Mountain. Skeletor is spying on Tila and tasks Merman with tracking her down. Merman asks for the task. Because Skeletor just exposits, ah, she's going off to the Crystal Sea. And then Merman's like, ah. Beautiful as always. <laughs> the thing that stood out to me is that people in Eternia are able to grasp things with very little context. Skeletor looks at that viewer of Tila shooting off in the speeder car. And he knows exactly where she's going. And He-Man in the last episode is told a very short description of the king and queen and man-at-arms and the sorceress disappearing. And He-Man is like, that's the lost diamond ray of disappearance. Pretty easy to figure out the diamond ray of lost disappearance. I mean, if people are disappearing and there was some sort of ray shooting out of a diamond. Skeletor presumably has a lot of magic tricks that he could pull. I guess that's fair. He probably could disappear people some other ways. But I mean, to completely understand 100% where Tila's going just by looking at her running off in the speeder. I mean, does he have like a spy in the palace such as one Orko? <laughs> he knows like all of the context around it. He can't, he wouldn't know that unless he listens in on the conversation. This is a theory worth developing. My other theory is that Skeletor is watching this show as it plays on his like Skeletvision and like knows what's going on because he's watching the show as it's being produced. If that's the case, would he not be a more effective villain? Well, he knows his role to play. He's... He's an actor, of course, I guess. I don't know. This is falling apart as I go through it. No, consummate show yeah. skeleton. There we go. That's what it is. It's all about the show to Skeletor, which is when why Merman like asked to go do it. He's like, sir, it's like lightning flashes behind him. I laughed out loud at that point. And Allison's like, why was that funny? That's incredible. Also, I was secretly hoping that that moment was going to be one of the ones that you did an impression about. So thanks for making my dreams come true as well. Uh, I, you know, I live for Skeletor's showmanship, I guess. So Tila arrives at the Crystal Sea, which is not an ocean. It's just like a bunch of crystals. It's a sea of crystals. Uh, yeah, I guess that's true. She's surprised when the shadow beasts attack her. Which everyone warned her that they would. She has another monologue that the shadow beasts are only scared off by light and then grabs the magic beads and smashes them on the ground and then kicks one in the back while it's... They were fought off with a stick and some flashing lights. That was like the only weapon she had was a stick. And one of the shadow beasts breaks it in half during the course of the fight too. Yeah, so earlier during the shots of Man at Arms workshop, in addition to the box of bomb parts, which is a thing somehow, there are in the background shots of like huge missiles and there's a couple of guns in there, I think. And Man at Arms outfits Tila with a red stick 
that of the entire arsenal and armory at the disposal of the captain of the guard of king and queen of Eternia, and she goes out with a stick. Maybe because they have so much confidence in her powers. I mean, she is pretty capable. She fights off the Shadow Beast just fine. It's only when Merman's Qbert soldiers come across them that she doesn't have as much success. They do look like big green Qbert people. It's a Qbert with teeth. I have a hunch that the references that we make to explain the He-Man references are not actually that helpful to anyone who hasn't actually watched He-Man. Yeah. Well, I see what people will do is torture themselves and watch the show with us so that they can understand what we're talking about, right? That's how this works? Yes. Any true fans of the Eternia Review will be watching He-Man alongside. Yeah. Oh, God. Don't do it. It's not worth it. But it is worth it to listen to us describe clumsily the episodes. Yeah, much better. Zotila approaches the oracle, which is like a glass circle with a white dude inside. I wonder if he'll ever show up again. That's just what I'm going to continually ask myself the entire time we watch this. I wonder if that'll show up again. You can find out some of those in Amazon's hot tips. I keep calling them because I keep forgetting what they're actually called. Uh, I don't want to know. I want to. I just want to ask the question and then like like watching House and saying it's lupus this fine. It's finally lupus this time. And then never knowing until like the one episode it was lupus. I want to know which episode it is. I just want it to happen. Yeah, we got to build tension in He-Man somehow. So the Oracle in the smoothest voice possible. It is very smooth. Tells Tila what? At first he starts talking to her. This is before she gets kidnapped, right? So she makes it to the Oracle and she's like, hey, what the hell? Like, where do I come from? And he's like, well, when a man loves a woman and then goes into like how she was born he starts to tell her like man at arms was climbing this cliff face to go save something from was it did they say it wasn't the sorceress was just like the magic hawk which is the sorceress right and he's climbing up there to save it and merman's trying to get whatever's in there to sacrifice whatever's in there to whatever merman god he's supposed to be sacrificing to to this point, we don't know. And then it cuts out as soon as Man-at-Arms is making it over the nest and she's captured by the Cubert soldiers and Merman. And Merman approaches and Tila gives him a good one. Hey, Toadface. Now that's a good one. There is a pretty good wine liners in the show. That's what I, what I was impressed. He-Man had some good ones later. Not an accurate one, though. Toadface, uh, he's literally a fish person. I mean, he looks more like a, like a toothy largemouth bass with wing head syndrome merman apart from what we learned this episode that he's trying to sacrifice some mysterious object in a nest to a evil demon not a lot of other backstory blue creature he's lord of the sea somehow has minions and if you actually do watch the episode you may notice that when he's talking to skeletor earlier in the episode the size of his eyes is just constantly changing <laughs> I didn't notice that. I'm going to look for it now. Popping in and out. Maybe because he doesn't have other facial expressions that he can make, and that's the way that they give him some animation. Yeah, just constantly widening of his eyes. His voice actor makes a weird gurgly sound with all of his R's and stuff. I can't even do it. Like That sounded more like a cave monster. Anyway. Orko warns the sorceress that Tila has gone off. The sorceress does another one of these externalizing the monologue. I will fly in my bird form for I am the mighty sorceress. Something mm. like that. It's probably an exact quote. And that's pretty much all she says all the time. He-Man. 
she's in trouble. By the way, I want to say 40% of the background music is the He-Man theme. And then 30 more percent is different music, but they still use He-Man as a lyric. It's like the background noise of the universe. Yeah, is that a clue as to the whereabouts of Eternia? That is somewhere in the background, if you could find the radio signal of chanting He-Man. Yeah. I think so. Like that, that one radio signal that they found, that's a constant burst from another star out there. Maybe it's just He-Man, He-Man. We'll find Eternia one day. It's out there, Turbin. Somewhere. He-Man approaches the Oracle, who smooth-voicedly tells him that Tila has been captured, and He-Man sets off. To go rescue her. Although, she's actually needs rescue this time, right? Tila is chained by a pool of actual water at the Crystal Sea. Merman wants to summon the demon to sacrifice Tila so that he can control the demon. By sacrificing Tila and using whatever red pearl, he can control the... What is it called? I, I was trying to figure out Bakul. Is that with like a V or a B? I couldn't tell if it was Bakul or Bakul. Regardless, pretty sick demon name. Yeah, really great demon name. It definitely has two U's in it. It has to have two U's in it. Mightiest of sea demons. He summons the demon Bakul. And then He-Man jumps down to rescue her. Or he has to like punch through the wall, right? Because he's like stuck on the outside of whatever, wherever they are. He has to punch through a wall to get to there. He arrives at the door step and does deliver the fish face insult that i was waiting for he's always calling him fish face he's always got some sort of put down to put on these guys so like he punches through the wall to get there then he like chucks his sword to cut the rope that's tying down to you and then bakul is trying to kill tila again or something because even though she's not sacrificed yet he has control over Mer- merman has control over the sea demon yeah maybe it's like provisional control we must complete the ritual together to seal the compact of Bakul. Then the sorceress swoops in in hawk form, grabs the spear, and then drops it on the ground and it shatters. And then Bakul turns on Merman because that's the first thing he's going to do because that's just what he's going to do. And like goes to attack him but then He-Man saves him. It's like, I'm going to go regret this later. And he delivers just a He-Man line of like, anyone, even an evil one is worth saving. Not the moral of the story. The moral of the story, I was kind of disappointed. That just gives you a little like view to the ethos of He-Man, right? Like he just saves anybody who needs help pretty much regardless. Except demons, I guess. Those guys get punched. Tila returns to the Oracle. I don't know if this was a surprise to you. I didn't actually put very much thought into who Tila's parents could be, uh, but it turns out it's the sorceress. I was surprised by it. That's a pretty big revelation. It means she's pretty important. And the sorceress is like, it's me. And someday you will control Castle Grayskull and defend it from evil. Does Tila wake up one day and can turn into a bird? Or is that a sorceress specific? Only time will tell. Maybe it's some sort of other flying animal, like a bat. What animal would you turn into? What animal would you be if you were the sorceress? I think I would be some sort of megafauna, a rhinoceros or an elephant, I think. Because anybody can fly, right? But if you're a rhinoceros or an elephant, you can just like wreck shit, just run through things, you know? Take a page out of He-Man's book. Then I wouldn't need some sort of like, you know, hero to defend my castle. I'd be the one defending my castle. Castle Grayskull is at the top of kind of like a mountain or something, right? So you'd have to make sure that there's a reasonably graded path leading up that you could climb. Yeah, I mean, it's got like the drawbridge in the front, right? And you also have magic powers. So, you know, presumably you can do other things like teleport. I would hope so. Anyway, because I'm not going to get very far. I mean, I'd be a little bit faster than walking like a human, but I don't know how fast an elephant can run. I don't know what the most useful animal 
would be that I would like want to turn into. I mean, a hawk is a pretty good, like she just flies around places and it's very mountainous. So it seems like a good way to get around. But as far as like utilitarianism, I don't know. But here at the close of the episode, the sorceress also wipes Tila's mind. For like no reason. What was her stated reason? You're not ready to know yet or something? I don't even know that the sorceress said that. It was sort of the implication. The sorceress was like, I'm going to wipe your mind, and one day you will find this out. But He-Man gets to know. Yeah, and the sorceress has the little one-liner. I trust you're good at keeping secrets, He-Man. And he's like, yep, I've had a lot of practice. Wink. I don't understand why Tila doesn't get to know. Like, I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't either. What is it going to change? Is she now going to want to train to be a sorcerer? She means she's been training her whole life to be a badass warrior. What's going to be more training? She's probably ready for it. She's more ready for the power than Prince Adam is. Yeah, who presumably was fishing at the castle. I mean, that's literally what he's doing when he's skipping out on training before, right? And the sorcerer shows up. Hey, you want a magic sword? Yeah, sure. No problem. I guess. Do I got to work? No, you just sort of yell. Nice. Do we do the moral here at the end of the recap or do we do that at the end of our episode like he-man does we should try it both ways what do you want to do this week i think we should do it now this week all right so what was the moral of this episode the moral of the story is it's okay to be adopted your adoptive parents love you just like oh i almost said just like real parents (laughs) they practically said that in the episode you should love your adopted parents Sometimes it's just as good as biological parents. I I hope that that helped some child watching He-Man, you know, feel a little bit better about their situation, I guess. It's actually like a good lesson. I thought I was going to get drugs are bad, kids, or you should help out your villain friends, even if they're being a villain. Yeah, it's, it's actually a little deeper than like when the police officer comes to the school and does the D.A.R.E. program. Like it is a genuine lesson, like it's okay to be adopted. Do you think that they build the episode around the moral or they come up with it after they write the script? Hmm. I don't know. Like in this one, it seems like the message came first. Because Tila's adopted by man-at-arms. The message came first because there's literally no other reason. I mean, I guess if it comes up later, I'll change my tune, but I don't think that it really means anything other than that's who her mom is. The other thing that I sort of remember about the moral at the end of the show, usually someone in the episode is displaying the behavior that they go back and talk about in the moral. Skeletor in the Diamond Ray of Disappearance is, I suppose, trying to take the easy way to the top by disappearing all of his enemies. Tila does not, at any point in this episode, blame Man-at-Arms or you're not my real dad. That never comes up. It's more about her trying to find answers than anything. Not about her not accepting her raising. So no real counterpoint to the, the moral or no contrast. Like the story itself didn't exhibit the problem and the catharsis was the moral of the story. And that was true of the first episode as well, or at least... Skeletor didn't learn the lesson. You asked earlier, what are these people's jobs? What are they doing? Is it like a feudal system? Is there a, they democratically elected king and queen? Whatever that's called, the Swedish system of monarchy. There's somewhere that you elect a king and then they rule until they die and then you elect a new king. Is it inherited? Man-at-Arms is the blacksmith. He's obviously a guy who tinkers and makes cool weapons and stuff and manages the arsenal. Orko is there. He's like the court wizard, like the court jester. They keep him around to do goopy stuff and do zany things. And possibly act as either a 
secret spy or a double agent. We're going to find that out. That remains to be seen. Tila is the captain of the guards. That's what I've gotten out of it. Prince Adam is a prince. The king and queen are the king and queen. Queen Marlita and king. Do we know the king's name? Not yet, I don't think. The king. And then, uh, yeah, that's all the... Well, the, the other good guys, there's, we don't know what uh, Stratos does or who's the bird guy or Ram Man, which is a guy who has springs for legs, too, like in their free time. But we've only seen them for five seconds in the first episode. But they don't seem to be ruling over anything. I don't know. Like Man at Arms, for instance, is it a job to have a workshop and just make stuff for the king and queen? I, I guess it is. It's kind of his role. Is he like a general of the armed forces or is he just the chief scientist? Based on his name, you would assume assume something military an actual rank i think in like old-timey monarchies a man at arms is a soldier of the high medieval to renaissance period typically well versed in the use of arms served as a fully armored heavy cavalry man so like a knight or a nobleman or a member of a nice nobleman or a mercenary in a company under mercenary. so a man at arms yeah how does prince adam keep his identity a secret when he is yelling all the time. I don't know. And he doesn't put on a mask or anything. His face doesn't look any different. He removes clothing to turn into He-Man. Same body shape. It's not even like his body transforms like he's Shazam. He's the same dude who just takes off his shirt and it has the German cross there and the leather belt. That was something I noticed. He has the German cross on it. I didn't realize that before. What they put on German Luftwaffe pilots plane. I was idly wondering about that symbol. Uh, that's interesting yeah the literal seven foot tall ubermensch has the german cross on his belt shirt does he-man have blue eyes definitely the blonde hair uh no they're like black black eyes oh like cartoons he has dark eyebrows though too his eyebrows do not match his hair does he dye his eyebrows or dye his hair do you think I think he dyed his hair. So people must be stunned by He-Man's gleaming muscles. They're never able to actually look him in the face and realize that he's Prince Adam. That's probably what it is. It's just a distraction tactic. That's why he takes off his shirt, so that no one's looking at him. They're just looking at his pecs. He's just so buff. Maybe it's the inconsistency of the animation, but I want to say he tans up a little bit when he transforms as well. It does look like that a little bit. And also his voice changes, a la Christopher Reeves and Superman. He's all up and milty as Prince Adam, and then oh, I am He-Man. The other question that I had, so the Oracle is a new power in Eternia that we're introduced to this episode. As far as the political map goes, or at least like some sort of other magical power. And the Oracle is not aligned directly with the Sorceress. Because the Sorceress wants to keep Teela's parentage secret, and the Oracle does not give a yeah. fuck. He's just like, yeah, I'll tell you, no problem. So I wonder if we'll see more of the Oracle. Also to fit into the Orcos as secret double agent, because he lit out the secret of like, oh, you should go to the Oracle of the Crystal Sea. And then he's like, you know, no, don't go because it's dangerous. Oh no, don't go. But then he also tells Prince Adam on accident. So he's playing both angles. What's Oracle's, what's Oracle's deal? It's either highly planned or you just got to take Orco at face value. I should just take Orco at face value, but I want to believe. Continue gathering evidence. Yeah, Orco's definitely a spy. I'm going to have some ongoing themes of things that I'm going to try to figure out. Whose side is Orco really on? Who really rules Eternia? And where is Eternia and how can we get there? Exactly. I'm sure Elon Musk is working on that one right now. What else? Do you have anything else? Uh, I don't think so. I did have one note, sort of a throwaway, that just says Shadow Beast Ecology? 
question mark? Like, what do they eat? They live on a crystal sea, not a lot of flora or fauna. They're scared of light, but they're out during the day. And on a surface that reflects and magnifies light. These are all pressing questions. The questions about He-Man and the masters of the universe mount. Also, who are the masters of the universe? That's actually a great question. Well, it's the sorceress, the oracle. Okay, I got to start a list of orco. Who are the masters of the universe? But, okay, so it's like the title of the show, right? So it's He-Man and the masters of the universe. So the other characters of the show would be the masters of the universe, right? I refuse to believe that Ram Man is a master of the universe because he has springs in his legs. I can buy the sorceress, He-Man. Man-at-Arms is pretty capable. He seems like a pretty good scientist guy. He made the, the psychic memory player thing, so that's pretty dope. To be a master of the universe, do you have to have some kind of supernatural power? I wouldn't say so, although I'm sure that's a pretty easy way to be a master of the universe. Do you think that He-Man first got his bachelor's of the universe? Or maybe an associate? God damn it.